kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge, you, acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks for being Please pray with me. Father, we give you thanks for your word and your spirit, and we pray that as the word is read and preached, as we apply to our lives, your spirit will be with us so that um, we could bear fruit. You draw some near to you, you would bring others further along. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I want to uh, have you think about something that is a surprising element of early Christianity. And by early Christianity, I mean you know the first 300 years of the church. And uh, that surprising element of early Christianity is this. Fear and Christianity in that early church is inextricably linked. And you might be sitting here saying, well, I, you know, I've read the New Testament. The New Testament says that perfect love drives out all fear. And that's absolutely true. Perfect love drives out all fear between us and God. But being in relationship with, with the God of Jesus Christ in those first 300 years of Christianity was a pretty scary prospect. Make it go. And I'll tell you why. Because if you're a Christian in the first 300 years of Christianity, there's a very good chance. You can, you can read about this in John chapter 9. It's happening while Jesus is still alive. People are being kicked out of their homes for following Jesus. People are being kicked out of their faith communities for following Jesus. This is before he's crucified, by the way. Um, people are being expelled from their neighborhoods. They are being economically disadvantaged. They're not allowed to trade. They're not allowed to belong to business guilds. They are opening themselves up to harassment, to, um, uh, to persecution. They are being arrested. Uh, they're being enslaved. They're being killed. So becoming a Christian in the first 300 years of Christianity is a pretty frightening prospect. It's, it's enough to make you go. If you want to have some idea of what, uh, what would have been going through people's minds and their hearts as they became Christians in those first couple hundred years of the Christian faith, I would compare it to young men and young women that are enlisting or commissioning during wartime. I spend an awful lot of time with those kinds of young men and those kinds of young women, and sometimes they'll say, you know, I've decided I'm going to contract with the Army or with the Marine Corps. I say, well, sit down. I want to tell you something. We're in the middle of the longest running war in U.S. history. If you contract with these people, you are going to be combat deployed. And they gulp. And now the thing they were on their way to that office to sign up for, they don't, they don't go. They think. And they count the cost. And if you become a Christian in the first 300 years of Christianity, you are being explained. If you didn't know, somebody's going to sit you down and they're going to explain to you what it means for you to, uh, to plunge into the waters of baptism. To plunge into the waters of baptism in the early church is to plunge into a melee of, of danger and hardship and sacrifice. And the only reason they did it is they, they concluded that it was worth doing. 
you see. It's different now. It's hard to imagine because uh, Christianity now, there's not an enormous cost to being a Christian in North America. You have an enormous amount to gain by putting your faith in Jesus and very little to lose by being a Christian in North America right now. No one is going to, to come and uh, expel you from a, from a credit system. Nobody's going to put taxes on your business. Nobody's going to penalize you for being a Christian in this country. And I think maybe it might have deluded Christians in this country a little bit uh, into thinking maybe there's not an enormous amount of sacrifice and danger involved in being a follower of Jesus. And I think that has had two, two effects on uh, North American approaches to Christianity. I just want to highlight for you. Here's, here's effect number one. If no one has ever introduced the idea of the costliness of following Jesus to you, then when it comes time for you to pay a price, you're going to be confused or bewildered. I'll tell you uh, an example. There was a, a church I was involved in. Uh, it was in a nice part of town. There weren't an enormous amount of, of people coming by asking for assistance. But a homeless man did come into the lobby of the church. And before I knew it, the police were there. And he was being arrested in the lobby of the church. And I asked the administrator, I said, what happened? And, and she said, well, the, clergy, the clergyman asked us to call the police and have this man removed. And so I went to the clergyman and I said, uh, can you explain why? Why you call the police on this homeless man? And he said, well, Rob, you know, these people are very dangerous. And you never know when they're going to do something. And so uh, it wasn't the cost of actual risk he was being asked to pay. It was a, a potential imaginary. And based off some pretty extensive work with, with the homeless community, a totally unlikely scenario of danger. But the mere prospect that he might be called to pay some kind of cost was enough to divert him away from a very clear teaching of Jesus in regards to how the church is supposed to approach the homeless. Very clear teaching. But the reason I raise that is there are other very clear teachings that North American Christians are expert at reasoning their ways around. And I think a lot of it has to do with nobody has talked to North American Christians often Seriously, that being initiated into following Jesus is initiating yourself into a lifetime of danger, hardship, and sacrifice. A lifetime's worth. That's one thing I think it's done to us, kind of, kind of avoiding this conversation. The second thing it's done to us is uh, it's gave the non-Christian world that's watching us the wrong conclusions about the worthiness of following Jesus. And, and here's what that means. If the non-Christian world is watching the Christian world in the first 300 years of, of the Christian church, what are they seeing? They are seeing people being pulled out of their own homes with their hands bound. They're seeing them sold into slavery. They're seeing them being killed in the Colosseums. And the non-Christian world watching is saying, these people have found something more valuable than I have found. Because they're willing to pay a higher price than I am willing to pay. And if you want to know why the non-Christian world and the ancient world became a Christian world, it's because they watched three, four, five generations of Christians lose everything 
for the privilege of following Jesus. And that led an early Christian theologian to say the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What he meant was, if you watch someone sacrifice for something, you get a sense of the worthiness of what they're sacrificing for. And the non-Christian world said, whatever it is they're sacrificing for is worth a lot. How do we enter into this thing? Yeah. But when, but when you have Christians who, have, uh, who are confused when it comes time to, to pay a price and who do it stingily, when, uh, when the non-Christian world sees Christian clergy call the police to escape navigating a situation with a homeless person, when you, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I, I guess I'm going to, when you see uh, Christian families uh, traveling on sports teams on Sundays instead of, instead of worshiping, the non-Christian world draws conclusions about that. You see, whether you, no matter what the intentions of your heart were, the non-Christian world is going to draw conclusions about that. When the non-Christian world sees that the, that the average giving of a Christian is under 3% in this area to, to their local church and to the poor, whether you want them to or not, they are going to draw conclusions about the worthiness of Jesus. And what I want to submit to you is they are going to draw all the wrong conclusions. All the wrong ones. So what I want to do today is I want to talk to you from, from Matthew chapter 10, the way Jesus talked to the early Christians uh, before he sent them out when, when the cost was very, very high. Because I'm hoping it will stimulate us a little bit to think about what it means to follow a, a God who's actually worth risking. C.S. Lewis, he said, it's, it's important for you to read the children stories of knights and dragons and devils because you never know when they're actually going to meet one. And reading this from Jesus is a, is a bit jarring. It can sound something like a fairy tale, but it prepares us, I think, to meet, meet the needs of the day. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Chapter 10, verse 28. What are you afraid of losing? A good way to figure out what you're afraid of losing is to think about where your mind wanders in the late hours of the night. I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I have trouble sleeping, and I have trouble sleeping because I worry. I worry about a lot of things. And I learn about all the things that I worry about most often late at night. I worry about, uh, uh, about income and home like you worry about income and home. I worry about... Mortgages. If, if, a, if a tire blows out on the car and we have a budget for it, these are things I worry about. I worry about uh, the health of myself and our family. These are things that I worry about. I worry about them all the time. And as I'm worried, I, I take these things to the Lord in prayer. What do you pray about? What keeps you up at night? It's a good idea of what it is that you worry about. And what you and I worry about are, are big things. But Jesus, what he says is there's a much larger thing to be worried about in this passage. He says, um, he says don't worry about those who can kill the body. And so let's, let's not make this more spiritual than it needs to be. The body's a big deal. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to, uh, to get sick. I don't want this to be in jeopardy. I want this 
to be well clothed. I spend an enormous amount of time worrying about this and in Mount Pleasant, where I think we live to work out. It's, it, judging off the social media, it is like the apex of human behavior in Mount Pleasant is, is how many hot yoga classes can I go through before you We spend an enormous amount of time worrying about our bodies. And Jesus, what he's saying is there's something more valuable than your body. And it's, it's the soul. And there's two things about the soul that uh, I think come out in the New Testament that you and I need to worry about. We, we worry about the health of our bodies and we need to worry about the health of our souls. Jesus says, don't, don't uh, store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where neither thief can come in and steal nor moth and rust destroy. And he's saying some really interesting things uh, about how you, uh, uh, how you can protect your heart, how you can protect your soul. Uh, one is... Um, that you wouldn't want to invest your soul in, in something that could be taken away from you. But the more interesting thing is, is he says, don't, don't store up for yourselves treasures where, where rust can come in. And that means that you and I, uh, if, if, I'll give you an example. I, I traveled to Alabama yesterday to see the Alabama Crimson Tide play the Citadel. And I was so excited to go. And I, I pulled out my old field jacket. And I thought I could wear my field jacket over my t-shirt and my jeans and it would look okay. And when I opened up the, uh, the uh, storage container earlier in the week, uh, we keep, keep it outside in the, in the, in the carport, um, the, uh, the field jacket had gotten a little, little moldy. And it got moldy because I stored it in a place where mold can get in. And one of the things you and I can do with, with our soul is uh, we, we can store our soul in places where moth and rust can destroy. I, you, I bet you can finish this. Um, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts. What's that statement saying? It's saying that, that something can happen to your soul. It can corrode, it can rust. Moths can eat. And so we spend so much time worrying about our body, but there's something more valuable than your body. You have a soul. And the kinds of things you pursue and the kinds of things you love and the kinds of things you cultivate can strengthen your soul and make it healthier or can corrode it and ruin it. That's one reason to worry about your soul. The other reason to worry about your soul is uh, this is going to go away one day. No matter how many crunches you do and how many juice cleanses and how many filters on Instagram you find to make it look like you did more juice cleanses than you did. <laughs> this is going to go away. Your soul is not going to go away. It's, gonna, it's going to endure forever. So one of the, what, what Jesus is raising is uh, what you and I do to our souls can, can do permanent damage. Don't, don't worry about what people can do to the body. Worry about what can be done to the soul. And now you see he's, he's commissioning people to go out and do something very dangerous. To live the Christian life publicly. That's basically what he's commissioning them to do in this passage. And he has to tell them. Uh, you're going to a place where living the Christian life publicly is going to put this in jeopardy. And you should not be afraid of it. Because living the Christian life publicly is going to keep something more valuable 
healthy and alive. It's going to keep your soul healthy and alive. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of him who can kill the body uh, and the soul. Destroy it. That's, that's uh, the first thing. Is there something more valuable you can lose and damage than your body? And the early Christians understood that. And the early Christians took it very seriously. Here's the second thing he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you're of more value than very many sparrows. My wife wanted us to do something that I really did not want to do. My wife wanted both of our children to be on swim team. <laughs> and uh, there are some translations of Dante's Inferno, depending on the, the, uh, the best Italian scholars we have looking at that, where the sixth circle of hell is actually a swim meet. <laughs> the reason my wife wanted to do that is uh, she grew up around the water, I grew up around the water, and she wants our kids to be able to be comfortable in the water in case something happens in the water. And so they were, she was pretty absolute about that. Both of the kids have to do swim team. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been around little children when you're teaching them to swim, but there are a million things they don't want to do. They don't want to put their head under for the first time. They don't want to jump off the side of the pool. They don't want to jump off the board. They don't want to learn to trade. All of these things terrify them. Uh, but... The reason we make them do it, and this is something they do not understand, is that the parents care more about the children than the children care about the children. And so what looks to them like an expression of something terrible is an expression of our, of our deep, more than love for them than they have for themselves. And what Jesus is saying here is that I'm, I'm sending you out and it is frightening and it's dangerous. But what you need to know as you're being sent out is that there is a Father in heaven and He cares for you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's, he knows the number of hairs on your head. And I see for some of you it's easier to count them than it used to be. But He knows them. He knows them. He knows you better than you know yourself. And listen, he cares for you more than you care for yourself. He's more interested in your long-term well-being than you are. And so sometimes he's going to do things like send them out. And it will not look like he's interested in your long-term well-being. But he is. And Jesus is alerting us to this fact. How do we know he's interested in the long-term how do we know he's more interested in our long-term well-being than we are? Well, we learn it from the very next verse, which uh, is a little unsettling. But it's verse 32. So, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Here's what it sounds like, but I want you to know it's, it's not what it really is. Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like we're going to send you out and it's going to be dangerous and it's going to be hard. And if you don't stand up when you're supposed to stand up, the Father's going to turn away from you at the end of all things. That's what it sounds like. 
but that can't be what it means because if you look at 31 and 32 closely, he says, fear not. You're, more, you're of more value than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges. Fear not. So. How, how can we understand these verses in a way that, that reflects what we've learned about the past? I'm sending you out to do something scary, but I'm doing it because I care more about you than you care about yourself. Well, here's how you understand it. Uh, Jesus is asking you to do something. But his expression and, and care for you far outpaced what he's asking you to do. He's asking for you on the day to stand up and say, uh, I know the man. But you need to understand what he, he did for you. What he did for you is he entered into a very dangerous place. He had a very dangerous mission. And he understood people could do things to the body. And he understood people could do things to the soul. And what you and I need to know is that Jesus was ready and willing to put his body on the line. But more than his body, he was willing to put his soul on the line for you. And there was a day when no one knew him. There was a day when his best friends wouldn't claim association with him. There was a day when everybody walked away from him. On the day when he was abandoned by the whole world, Jesus was resolute that he wouldn't abandon the world. Jesus was resolute that he wouldn't abandon his friends because Jesus is destroying the body and destroying the soul for the sake of Peter, who said, I do not know the man. Jesus is destroying the body and destroying the soul for the folks who ran off and hid into the woods. Jesus is standing up for them in their time of need when they'd never stand up for him. And, and what that means is not just that he cares more about you than you care about you. It means that Jesus cares more about you than he cares about himself. Jesus lost everything for the sake of the people in this room. And if that settles on you, if you really understand what that means, then it will do something in your heart where you are incapable, incapable of walking away from the man who cared more about you than he cared about himself. And the deep transformation that will happen in you is you will begin to care more about him than you care about yourself. And we live in a world right now where the world actually needs people who care more about Jesus than they care about their reputations. This world needs, needs people who care more about Jesus than they care about their bank accounts. This world needs people who care more about Jesus than they care about their physical safety. This world needs people who care more about Jesus than they care about their lives. This world needs people. How do you get people like that? You only get it. You only get it when, when people have come to hear the gospel, which is God cares more about you than he cares about himself. Because he gave himself up for you. All of himself. That's how you come to understand it. 
Let me just close with, with three quick things for you. If you are under, I don't know, 30, if you've been playing like angry birds, I don't blame you. But just pay attention right now, because I'm talking just to you all, okay? This, this idea about Christianity that you can get from this culture, that, uh, that it's not dangerous, that you don't need to sacrifice much, that Jesus would never have you put your life on the line, you would never learn that from reading the New Testament. You'd never learn it from reading the New Testament. So if you're, if you're young, read that New Testament and learn what Jesus demands of you from himself. And if you want the short answer to what he demands from you, I'll just put like everything. Everything. We had a video up. We were at a retreat a couple weeks ago. There was a video of Christians from, from northern Nigeria. And they were praying. And in that video, they said, Father, to our Heavenly Father, protect, protect our fathers who are being arrested, who are being killed. Protect our pastors who are being driven out of their churches. Protect our farmlands that are being destroyed. And my little girl, you, you know her, she's, she's seven. She turned and she looked at me and she said, Daddy, promise you will never try to get killed again. And I told her I didn't try to get killed. I never tried to get killed. But what she was talking about was a, was a pretty scary situation, a real situation where we were in Africa leading a retreat for, for pastors you know, deep in the woods. And the village we were in got attacked by rebels. And it was on my anniversary. And uh, they were going to line us up to execute us. And I've told my little girl that story. She said, promise me you'll never do that again. And I said, I can't promise that. Because I don't know when Jesus will ask us to follow him. I said, but if it does happen, you should know it's worth it. Now, I'm talking to y'all. It's worth it. It's, it's worth everything you have. And so get in the habit of making the sacrifices now. Get in the habit of making sacrifices now. Once people start sending you that paycheck, tithe 10%. Because it's easier to tithe 10% of nothing than a real salary. <laughs> it's, it's easy now to learn how to divert an hour and a half of your day to make sure a homeless guy has something to eat because that's what Jesus is very clear you need to be doing. It's easier to learn how to do that now than you have a house in an empty room and all of a sudden you have to figure out, do I need to move somebody in? I don't know. So get in the habit of making the sacrifices now. They'll be so much easier when you get older. Now for the older folks, it's much harder to change now, isn't it? So much more to lose. So much more to adjust. So many cares and so many concerns. Here's my advice to you. My advice to you is to find one risky thing you can do for the Lord Jesus. That's small. One risky thing you can do for the Lord Jesus to build on and start this week. I don't know what it is. I, I can give you two or three ideas. 
Share the gospel. Don't insist someone say Merry Christmas to you because you won't find that in the New Testament. But you, you will find Jesus asked you to share the gospel with your friends and your neighbors. That's much scarier than getting offended at Starbucks. And it's much harder. And if that scares you and it's hard, look what you can do this week. Even if it's a total disaster, you have started a habit you can build on. I noticed last week it got cold early last week. I don't know if you noticed that. But what that means is there are a lot of people under bridges in downtown Charleston who don't have blankets yet, who don't have coats yet. Do, those, do, do they scare you? There's no shame in it. They do scare a lot of people. You can, this week, stock up on jackets and coats and you can go downtown and you can actually have a conversation with them when they're just people. But what did you just do? You made a small sacrifice that you can build on. That's what it's all about. Getting in the habit of building on things. You start now, it's like investing. You know, five years, all of a sudden you've saved up you know, some money. Five years from now, you've saved up some habits you can build on. Some of you are, are deathly afraid of that bank account. That's, that's the last one. Martin Luther, you know, the German reformer, he said, uh, the last thing Jesus converts is, the, is a man's wallet. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you to think through uh, what, it, what it would mean for you to come, come the new year to hit the tithe. It's scary. We've been doing it. Uh, we've been doing it for 20 years now, my wife and I. And there are some months we just don't want to do it. There's some months that hurts more than others. But if you could start strategizing now for January 1, and what have you done? You've learned. Yeah. You've learned how to make some sacrifices. So that's for you Christians. I've gone way too long. It's because I, I, got, I got back at like 2 a.m. last night. And if my mind's foggy, I could go all day. <laughs> but I know you don't. That's a sacrifice I don't think Jesus, even Jesus wants you to make. <laughs> Let me just close uh, with this. Um, I may not have been the best example of this. And for that, I'm sorry. You might not have seen the best example of this, and for that I'm sorry. But if you're here exploring Christianity, you need to know there are 2,000 years worth of people of higher quality than me who have testified to the worth of Jesus. They've testified to the worth of Jesus by preaching Him when it was illegal. They've testified to the worth of Jesus by running... Uh, Slaves up the Underground Railroad. They've testified to the worth of Jesus by crossing bridges when people told them not to cross them. They're testifying to the worth of Jesus right now in the Middle East and in China and in certain parts of Asia. They're testifying to the worth of Jesus. And so look at them and you will learn that none of them, when they come into the kingdom of heaven, having their lives ended early or having their bank accounts clipped short, or living 80 years with a bad reputation, none of them are going to go into the kingdom of heaven and say it wasn't worth it. Not one. So consider, consider the worthiness of Jesus they've set forth. 
And if you'd like to enter into it, the best part about all of this, there is a cost, and the danger's real. I've learned that. But the, uh, the, the entrance in, that cost has already been paid steep by a God who cares more about you than he cares about himself. Let's pray.